You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This is technically Romans part 5a. (laughs) And it's a sermon that I've entitled, Everybody Knows. Everybody Knows. Do something a little different today. I'm going to ask everyone to stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 says this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wonderful privilege to handle Your Word. Lord, I pray that You will... Help me rightly divide this word, that you will give me clarity of mind and concision of speech, and your Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin, the righteousness of Christ, and the judgment to come, and that you would grant repentance and faith to every single person here. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, you can be seated. In today's Bible passage, the Apostle Paul answers three problems. Three problems. The first problem, and you can write this down, it's the question we have to answer first, is why do we need God to give us righteousness? Why do we need God to give us righteousness? If you remember from last week's sermon in Romans 1.17, it says that the gospel, God's gospel about His Son, Jesus, His life, death, burial and resurrection for our sins to make payment for the punishment of our sins was accomplished by Jesus. And at the proclamation of this gospel, there is the revelation of the righteousness which comes from God. The only way you and I can be made right with the holy God and His righteous wrath is that Jesus died for our sins and God offers forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ as an act of free, ga- free grace to you. But why do we even need it to begin with? Why do we need God to give us His righteousness? Why don't we just deserve the righteousness of God? Why can't we attain the righteousness of God ourselves? Why can it not be earned? Please remember as we go through these three verses, as we study this passage, 
it is addressed to those who may or may not be acquainted with the Scriptures. So whether this is your first time in church or if this is your hundred thousandth time, it is immaterial. This is written to everyone everywhere. It applies universally, not just to religious people. So problem number one, why do we need God to give us righteousness? Let's go back and look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven. The reference to heaven, like the one found here in Romans 1.18, was a Jewish euphemism for saying directly from God. For God's wrath is revealed directly from God. In this context, if you had to give it Josh's living translation of Romans 1.18, God is angry. He's angry with you and I right now. He is wrathful. Now what is God's wrath? God's wrath or anger to sin is not like our anger. Our anger is generally generated from hurt pride, right? We become vindictive. We become intent on harming another because they hurt our feelings. This is not what we mean by God is angry or God is wrathful. Theologian and preacher John Stott described it this way. He writes this, The wrath of God is almost totally different from human anger. It does not mean that God loses His temper, flies into a rage, or is ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. Write this next part down. God's wrath is His holy hostility to evil. God's wrath is God's holy hostility to evil. It is His refusal to condone evil or to come to terms with evil. It is His just judgment upon it. And then look at what it, look again in verse 18 and what it says. For God's wrath is revealed. God's wrath is not just a future reality out there some apocalyptic event. It does include that. Paul will refer to that imminent final revelation and return of Jesus when the wrath of God is poured out all over all over sinful humanity. But notice the tense of this verb, is revealed. God's wrath is a present reality. You may want to write that down. God's wrath is being evidenced against humanity this very moment. And some of you say, where? Where is God's wrath? Where is God's anger being revealed? And I submit this to you with gentleness and respect. Look at your own life. Look at your own life. Now, I don't need raise of hand, but have you ever experienced the consequences of your sin? Have you ever sinned against God's holy word or sinned against a brother or sister created in His image and it wound up hurting or harming you? 
That's a part of the wrath of God right here, right now. Have you ever experienced sorrow in your life? Heartache, despair, anxiety. Those are all symptoms of the wrath of God against sin. And I don't necessarily mean it's your personal sin as in you commit this one act and there's this absolute consequence for it. I'm saying we as humanity, as children of God, we've all rebelled against God, all raised our our fist high against Him, and we're living in the fallout ever since. We experience sickness and death because of the wrath of God. If you turn on the news and see the state of our country and the world, you are seeing the wrath of God revealed. God's wrath is a present reality. And notice who it's against. All godlessness and unrighteousness of people. God's wrath is against all godlessness. Ungodliness or godlessness is simply this, a lack of of respect for God. I think sometimes when we see godlessness or ungodliness, we we tend to swing to the other end of the spectrum and only envision atheist is all that's in mind here. That's not what Paul means by ungodliness. Think of it this way. Godliness is the standard. A proper, all right, of reverence for God. It is as Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is godliness. Anything short of that is what? Ungodliness or godlessness. It is a lack of reverence or respect, worship that is due to the only true living God of Israel. And then notice how it manifests itself. It manifests itself in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the lack of right living to God's standard. Because God is the creator of humanity, the author of life. He knows how it is best lived and He has given us His word as to how we should live our lives. He has a standard for our lives. And when we don't come into conformity to that standard, it is called sin. Anytime God's perfect standard's here, Anytime we fall short of it, whether it's an inch or whether it's a million miles, the Bible considers all of it to be what? Unrighteousness or sin. It's all sin and all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end of Paul's argument. He's going to talk about these terms all the way through the end of Romans chapter 3. But Paul reaches this conclusion. Why do we need God to give us righteousness? Answer number one, write this down. Everybody deserves wrath. Everybody deserves wrath. There's not a single person in here that can say this. I have, from the moment I was born, loved the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of us, on some level, to some degree, are ungodly or godless. And then if you examine your life, just in light of the Ten Commandments, just the Ten, not the rest of the commandments in the Scriptures, and we see this standard by which God has said, this is the way you ought to live your life. We fail miserably. Much less we do the internal work that Jesus says, and to say, if you call someone an idiot out of anger, is to have murdered them spiritually. 
So from the inside out, all of us, everybody deserves God's wrath because all of us are ungodly and all of us are unrighteous. No, here's the question we have to answer next. Paul anticipates a response, a complaint. And some of you may be saying it too. You say, man, I didn't think I was going to come into church and be told God's angry with me. Here's the second question. How can God hold us accountable if we don't know Him or His standard? How can God hold us accountable if we don't know Him or His standard? It's a question of accountability. Look at the rest of verse 18. It says this, It's against all godliness, ungodliness or godlessness, an unrighteousness of people, now notice this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth, as we'll see spelled out here in just a number of verses, is the reality that God exists. The truth is God exists, and we, you and I, have suppressed that truth. The idea is to put it in a box and sit on the lid. Now, I don't know about you if you have the same problem as me. I'm one of those guys. I like to be prepared. I generally carry a book bag with me everywhere I go. And you can ask my wife. When we pack luggage, if we're going to be gone for five days, I prepare like we're gone for ten. Like, in case I just mess up every outfit I get. I don't know what we think we're going to do. But at some point, what we'll do is this. I've brought double what I should bring. We're too cheap to bring two pieces of luggage, right, on the plane because you don't want to pay for that. So we're sitting in our bedroom fighting, putting stuff in there, and at some point somebody's trying to get on the top of that luggage, right, and zip that thing. And it's just, just, I mean, the bonding on it is just trying to stay together. And here's the fact. Spiritually, Every single one of us does that about the truth of God's existence. Every one of us. On some degree, there is a mountain of evidence that God exists and has a standard for us to live by. And you know what we want to do? We want to take that mountain of evidence, sit it in our spiritual luggage, get on top, zip it as fast as we possibly can, and then roll it in the closet. Why? So we can go live life how we want. Notice what it says. We suppress the truth in what? Say it loud. Unrighteousness. Remember what I just said unrighteousness was? It was a lack of conformity in our right living to God's standard. You know what it is? You know why we try to suppress the evidence? The evidence is screaming so loud at us, every single one of us, that there is a God who has a holy standard of our lives. We know it is so real. We sit there and put the evidence away because we go, I want to live my way. I do not want a creator of the universe treating me like the creature and telling me what to do. So we go and we suppress the truth. Put this down. How can God hold us accountable if we don't know God or His standard? Answer two. Everybody knows God. Everybody knows God. Which then comes to problem three. Well, how has God made Himself so obvious? How 
has God made himself so obvious? Let's read verses 19 through 20. He says this, Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, and he spells it out, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Here's how this has happened. You can write this answer down. God has made it obvious through his creation. Answer three. Through his creation, God has made it absolutely obvious to every person on the planet that he exists and has a holy standard for every creature. The question that we got to look at is, now how has he done this through creation? He's done this four ways. Four ways creation gives evidence of God's existence. First is this, the evidence is visible. Is visible. Did you see what it said? Clearly what? Seen. Clearly seen. The creation can be seen. It can be perceived. It can be touched. It can be felt. It can be sensed. It can be experienced. The paradox can't be missed here. We understand God and his attributes are invisible. God is an invisible being. So guess what he's done in grace toward us? Made his invisible attributes visible to you. When you walk outside, you are seeing traces of God everywhere. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Write the reference down. You'll want it later. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Listen to this. Day after day, day after day, they pour out speech. You thought you got sick and tired of preaching. Wait till you leave this place. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Something you can understand. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Did you catch this? He's saying there's no language barrier for creation. Whether you're here in Demarest, Georgia, or you're halfway across the world, creation can translate. It can get that invisible God, that evidence, to you. Their message has gone out to the whole world and their words to the ends of the world. Church, the order, the tremendous, beautiful, complex creation The fingerprints of God, they're all over it. And they're preaching at you every single day you wake up. God is visible through the creation He has made. The evidence, number two, the evidence is understood. Did you catch this? They perceive it. Creation, me and you, we actually can attain this knowledge that creation is preaching to us about. We can understand enough from the creation to prevent us from identifying created things as the creator. 
Did you catch that? Like, for instance, that the sum total of creation, we realize, you know what, you can't explain everything away. There must be something more. It's so vast, it's so expanse. How can you account for all of this? And we can know there is something more than just creation. I love what my good old Professor Collier used to say about Romans chapter 1. I never forget sitting in class. And, and Collier, if you ever met him, he's very straight face, hardly ever joked. He says, there's only two types of people and only two. There are believers and there are liars. And he meant it. They're believers and suppressors of the truth. Because creation has made the invisible attributes of God plain to see. I wish God would just show himself. I wish I would just be able to understand. He goes, you can. I made it sure that you could understand. So you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. The third thing is the evidence is constant. Notice when this evidence began. Since the beginning. Since the inception of creation, it has continued to say, I'm here. God's there. You are spiritually drowning in the evidence for God every day. You can't turn it off. You can't lower the volume. Think of it this way. The Bible of nature is constantly being read to you. Constantly. It is constant. Do you see what you're up against? (laughs) And how God views you and your rebellion toward Him? When He's made things so plain? And then the fourth thing we get from Creation is this. We actually get the two things. Paul spells it out. Here's the two things, the two doctrines you should be able to pick up because of creation making it visible, because you can understand these two things. You can grasp them. I don't mean in their fullness, but I mean you can get the idea of what they are and that they're constantly there for you to see is this. The evidence reveals God's eternal power, eternal power, and then very literally... We, we translate it here divine nature, but it's godness. The creation reveals God's eternal power and godness. Only an eternal, beginningless, or timeless God can create Tom. Please understand, church, Now I don't want to get into non-theistic evolutionary science or anything like that, but when schools tell you that there was a big bang we wholeheartedly as Christians believe. We've, we Thank you. We've been sitting here a long time telling you that's how it's been. Thank you for the confirmation. But the point is this. All matter, space, and time at one point didn't exist. The cause of those things then must be timeless, immaterial, and unimaginably power. Sounds like a great description of who our God is. He must be eternal because the creation isn't eternal. It's time-bound. He must be unimaginably powerful. Do you know the expanse of the universe? If a piece of paper represented our distance 
The Earth's distance from the sun, which is 93 million miles, if, if it represented one piece of paper to the next closest star beyond our sun, you would need 31 feet of paper to, to signify that. That's just to the next star. And remember, we live in an ever-expanding universe. Can I just tell you this for those who are struggling? Nothing is too difficult for God. He is unimaginably powerful. And then His divine nature, or like I said, His godness. It's clear. Here's the idea. Creation tells us two messages. When it says eternal power, creation saying this, there's a God. There's a God. There's a God. That's the power part. Part two of creation's message, the godness of God. You're not Him. You're not Him. You're not Him. So when that bird softly tweets by, he's going, there's a God. You're not Him. When that worm crawls on your deck, there's a God. You're not Him. That's all they're telling you all day long. When Napoleon was, turning, was returning from his campaign in Egypt and Syria, he was seated one night upon the deck of the vessel under the open canopy of the heavens, surrounded by his captains and generals. The conversation had taken a skeptical direction, and most of the party had combated the doctrine of God's existence. Napoleon had sat silent, musing, apparently taking no interest in the discussion, when suddenly raising his hand and pointing at the crystal sky crowded with its mildly shining planets and its keen glittering stars, he broke out and those startling tones that so often electrified a million men, gentlemen, who made all that? Who made all that? If you want to get rid of God, You've got to get rid of the stars. Which is easier? None. You'll never get rid of the stars, and you'll never get rid of God. So what does that mean? Romans 1, 20, look at the very last clause. Here's what it means. As a result, people are without excuse. Write this down. Everybody knows better. Everybody knows better. Now you will see later, people claim to be wise and become fools. They trick themselves, suppress the truth. Paul just wants to look every person in the face and go, you know better. You know there's a God. You know what he expects on some level, and none of us are doing it. None of us worship or are thankful toward God like we should be. None of us live according to any standard that he's given us to live like, we, like he expects. All of us know better. John Stott put it this way, Nobody can plead innocence because nobody can plead ignorance. 
We cannot get ready. If you're waiting on judgment day to go, God, I didn't know. I'm letting you know right now, November 3rd, 2019, it will not work. That won't work. You know, and you know better. You know more than you're willing to accept. That's the issue. That's where God's holy hostility is an issue of rebellion, ladies and gentlemen. We don't want to accept the evidence of God. We don't want to accept because we know if He's there, we must change our lives. And we would rather live with the law and be God than know God and live in the truth. In The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, Lewis writes, While we are on that level, while we are still claiming to speak of what nature has directly said, (laughs) there is a God and you're not Him. We must stick to it. It's right. We have seen an image of glory. We must not try to find a direct path through it and beyond it to an increasing knowledge of God. The path peters out almost at once. Terrors and mysteries, the whole depth of God's counsel and the whole tangle of the history of the universe choke it. What what Lewis is saying is you can only get so much out of creation and then its revelation of God's attributes stop. So what are we to do? Listen to his next line. We can't get through, not that way. We must make a detour. Leave the hills and woods. Go back to our studies. Go to church. Go to our Bibles. Go to our knees. If we want the revelation or the doctrine of God's love and grace, you will not find it in creation. Remember, this passage is built on the verse before it. It says, for in it, Romans 1.17, for in it the revelation of God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. If you want to know the goodness, the love, the mercy of God, not His anger and His wrath, then you need to hear the gospel, my friend. The gospel is the demonstration of God's love for sinners. You say, well, how do I know God's not angry with me? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Don't ever lose sight of Romans 1, 15 through 17. Paul is eager to preach the gospel. He's not ashamed to preach about Jesus. He's not ashamed to preach about the free gift of God's righteousness. Why? Because that's the only way you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. Everything else in creation works against you to condemn you. Only the gospel can redeem you. So I'm talking to the unbeliever in the house. I'm talking to the unconverted person in the house. I'm talking to the non-Christian or that person who wants nothing to do with God. I need you to know this. Once you've slipped, once you've sinned, you are now in a downward spiral and you cannot stop yourself. And your neighbor beside you cannot stop you. Here's why I'm here. Only the gospel of Jesus can save you from your sins and deliver you from God's wrath. Only the gospel of Jesus can reverse the curse that comes due to our many sins. 
Only the gospel of Jesus can unveil a merciful, loving, gracious God who longs for you. His one and only Son bled. He came to this world in blood and cross to take your sins away that was causing the wrath of God to hang over your head. He loves you. And He says, I'll take it for you and God's wrath be removed forevermore. You say, how do I know? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. He was completely satisfied. But since I'm talking to you in this room, you know more of God and right living than you practice. How much more should you fear the wrath of God if you're raised in a Christian home, you attend a gospel preaching church, you have access to the Word of God, and you're allowed to listen to Christian prayer. You are heaping up mounds of evidence for your condemnation. Every time you walk in this building, because creation already condemns you, and here you're getting an opportunity to receive redemption. Get out of here fast if you're not going to take it. If creation alone condemns you, how much more if you reject the gospel of Jesus, the manifested love of God towards you in blood and cross? I beg you, receive the gift of righteousness from God by believing this gospel I'm preaching to you right now. Trust Jesus alone today for salvation. Make Him your Savior and God. If you do accept it, if you do commit your life to Him, you will be saved. You will be delivered from the wrath of God and you will be one to Him forevermore. To those who claim to be believers, missional Christian disciples, let me ask you a question. Are you in a season of sin or in a career of unrighteousness? Because once the gospel saves you, it does save you to something. God doesn't want us to continue living in a downward spiral of the consequences of sin. He wants to bring us out of it. Are you willing to obey Him and believe Him and trust Him every day to take one more step in the right direction to bring your life into greater conformity to His Word? God is very gracious and compassionate with Christians who, like I said, are in a season of sin. But when you've made a lifestyle of your sin, you need to question whether you really know Him. Because the wrath of God may be hanging over you too. And then let me think about Paul for a second. Let's go back to the original argument. Romans 1.15 I am eager to preach the gospel. Now we know why he is so eager. Because when he looks over humanity like I'm looking over you now, in love, I don't want a single one of you to be lost. I don't want a single one of you to be caught dead under the wrath of God. And what does that mean for you? Church, you've got friends, families, neighbors, 
co-workers who right now, they're suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. They would rather have their false gods and live with their lie and their lifestyle than come to the, could then come to the acknowledgement that Jesus is king. And the only person that can save them is someone who will go and be eager to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate God's love for them. Because they won't get it from creation. They can't be saved by it. They can only be condemned. But they can be saved from the wrath of God by a disciple, a missional Christian who will go and share the gospel of God's Son with them. When you hear about the wrath of God now being on the other side of it, it makes you want to pour everything you can to be the missionary that God wants you to be. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.